The Warriors Thunder guy died for Russell Westbrook to not have any rings, basically. (laughs) That's actually a shot at the Lakers, not at Russell Westbrook. (laughs) I felt it both ways. (laughs) I hope you guys get this. I hate the Lakers so much. Welcome to Spinsters, a podcast where we go 18 dummy and win rings, baby. Today, we have a super special guest with us. Hi, Alan. Yo, yo, what's going on, everybody? What up? Yay area. Yay area. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. I was going to say it, but I didn't want to be that person. But thank you. You're welcome. I got you. When you're scouting prospects, you need a powerful partner. You need Indeed. Sign up for Indeed now and get a $75 credit towards your first sponsored job. Plus, earn up to $500 extra in sponsored job credits with Indeed's virtual interviews. Visit Indeed.com slash Spinsters to learn more. Alan, can you tell the people all of the things that you do? Yeah, so uh, I'm currently an adjunct professor at the University of San Francisco. I teach writing there. I do food writing for KQED, which is the local PBS syndicate in the Bay Area. And I just freelance for different publications, music, sports, culture, um, immigration, just trying to cover the community in every direction. And you regularly spend a lot of energy worrying and cheering for the Warriors. (laughs) Yeah. For the Golden State Warriors. Too much energy. Yeah, I've been a lifelong born and raised in the Bay. I was one of those poor souls that in middle school, like in the early thousands, I was rocking Warriors gear and everybody else was rocking Lakers gear because that was like, you know, Kobe Shaq era. So it was traumatic. (laughs) So I think honestly, I think that's why Warriors fans were like so like overly proud of our team right Mm -hmm. now, because we had like those of us that went through it know that this was not an overnight thing. Yeah. So this is kind of a dope moment for us. But people don't tend to look at that side of things, I think, or they don't know about it as much. Which is why, you know, I'm grateful for you guys to bring me on. We're really happy you're here. And what we're basically what you are going to talk to us about today Mm -hmm. has to do with the Warriors being in the playoffs. This is the first time that they are in the playoffs playing in Chase Center, Mm -hmm. which is the arena that is in San Francisco that replaced the Oracle. It pains me to say it. The (laughs) Oracle, the legendary. I still call Chase Oracle just by like default in my memory. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it replaced Oracle Arena in East Oakland. And Alan, just, you know, in respect to that, what are we going to be talking about today? Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about the Warriors leaving Oracle Arena in East Oakland and moving to San Francisco and sort of the loss of the community and the spirit of what that move brought. All right, let's get into it. It's been three seasons since the Golden State Warriors left Oracle Arena, but for lifelong Warriors fans, it feels like a lifetime. The Warriors are moving from their old home at Oracle Arena across the bay in Oakland to the new Chase Center in San Francisco, a seven-year process. In 2019, the basketball franchise caused a firestorm when they vacated Oakland to relocate across the Bay Bridge for the high-end, futuristic, toilet bowl-looking venue known as Chase Center, right along San Francisco's glittery waterfront skyline. 
A part of Oakland is no more. Tonight, work trucks streamed out of the parking lot of what was once Oracle Arena. It's pretty hard to see, especially the worries have been on this side of the bay for so long. That was one of the things like, I always saw when you fly into Oakland. And so it's definitely going to be different not having the Oracle sign there for sure. It's still a bit of a sore spot in the East Bay. Why do they have to leave Oakland? You lose the Raiders and you lose this team and a team that's done very well and that a lot of people have been able to rally behind. It's just kind of sad. And what was the reception for the new design of oh. the uh, Chase Center? It's like this futuristic, like shitter, basically, like by the water. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I get it kind of did, right? Like, that wasn't my initial thought. But once people started pointing it out, you know how the internet hype mind does its magic. Um, and I don't know a single person that was happy. Even people that I know that are city, like born and raised in the 415 area code, they were even like, dude, this is dirty. It's pretty unspoken that it was a dirty move. In the same way tech companies like Twitter and Google have attracted thousands to this region from around the world, the Warriors have also paralleled that meteoric ascension. And in doing so, the cost of tickets, as well as the general cost of living, has steadily increased. Right now, the cost of gas where I live in the East Bay is over $6 per gallon. When you factor that in with the price of crossing one or two toll bridges to get to SF, the expense of parking in a premium location area, or of potentially taking multiple public transit services to reach Chase Center's front steps, you're looking at a pretty penny. And that's before you even step foot inside the actual arena and purchase your tickets and food. Okay, so Alan, for outsiders like me, pricing people out of San Francisco seems like a theme that is not exclusively just in sports, but also in life. Um, I feel like it's something that we've kind of had to swallow so much in the Bay Area and that loss has just become such a fabric of the Bay Area experience for those of us that grew up here. Um, and a lot of that does have to do with tech coming in and sort of supplanting a lot of people and raising astronomically raising the cost of living. And the Bay Area is a small geographic region, right? We're not LA, we're not Chicago, we're not New York. It's, it's actually, if you look on the map, San Francisco seven by seven miles. You could walk that in a day easy. So I think people might imagine, you know, the Bay Area being bigger than it is. And that's only relevant because there's an, a finite amount of space here. And I do feel like all of that ties in together. And I don't know, I think my generation is, is, has been really dragged through the mud in the Bay. And like a lot of us are down and out. A lot of us live with our parents. You know, I currently live with my grandmother-in-law because she lives in the home that she grew up in in the 50s, right? So that's all to say that I think it's tough. And it's to the point where, you know, we've lost so much that many of us have left. And I'm constantly questioning if I should leave and if this is where I want to still call home, right? And the Warriors play into that in a big way, you know, because that was one of the last few things that I feel connected to, them and the A's, where like I could still go to and feel like, ah, this is home. This is my dive bar where I've been going my whole life, right? Like, nah, that, like, that's gone. Now, the dive bar for the Warriors became this gentrified, yuppie bar that I can't afford the drinks at anymore, right? And sooner or later, you're going to lose the people that have been frequenting your business for that long because we don't feel included and we, in many cases, can't afford it, literally. So, I don't know. I think it's a pretty dire situation. Since the team first moved to East Oakland in 1971, 
They've been one of the only reasons that people in San Francisco have had to commute in the opposite direction. I mean, the Warriors once played in Frisco in a nearby Daly City for a handful of years in the 60s after relocating the franchise from Philadelphia. Pro basketball's finale for the NBA title, the Philadelphia 76ers versus the San Francisco Warriors. Will Chamberlain feeds But anyone who grew up in the Bay will tell you that the Warriors have always been Oakland-blooded. Living in the city of Max, you can't be joking, the city is called Oakland, Bay. That's because the team and city share similar characteristics of struggling, self-imploding, meticulously rebuilding, and eventually winning championships over a painful stretch of decades-filled pain. Celebration tonight here in Oakland. One of the great playoff runs of all time is complete. I'm talking about gut-wrenching, lottery pick-praying, cellar-dwelling, nightly shacked in a fool kind of pain. The kind of pain where the nightly news only has bad things to say about you. Choking, it seems, was all the Warriors and city officials did in those years. Latrell Sprewell is on suspension for attacking Golden State Warriors coach P.J. Carlissimo. Did the media exercise social responsibility when they reported it? Did the sportscasters and sports writers report fairly? Does the prospect of publicity lead celebrities to behave in a certain way? Northwest Cable News is Chandra But through it all, us Dubs fans were right there in the Oakland Coliseum sports complex, cheering from a horrifically outdated arena next to potholed streets in Highway 880, surrounded by barbed wire fences, train tracks, graffiti, and the constant presence of police. The Warriors played at 7,000 Coliseum Way. They were also known for how they gave back to the community and amplified residents in a way that made dreams a reality for some. Juan Toscano Anderson most famously embodies that. After becoming the first East Oakland Mexican-American Hooper to sign a multi-year contract with his hometown Warriors in 2019. I've been to camp. I'm from Oakland. I'm in the community. Like There are kids that are still going that go to Warriors camp and that are going to go to Warriors camp, you know, for a long time coming. And, you know, for kids to talk about me is just, it's inexplicable. You don't just have to be an NBA player to achieve your goals with the team. Or you didn't anyway. A 16-year-old me is like, you know, shoot for the start. I want to be a ball boy for the Warriors. And he's like, oh, man, I don't know if I could pull that off. That's Omar Wandera, another East Oakland native who's currently the executive director at Sponsors for Educational Opportunities, an educational program that serves first-generation high school students in the Bay who are entering college. And I was like, well, I don't know if I get a 3.5. You know what I'm saying? So (laughs) if you try to ask me to do the impossible, then you got to be able to do the impossible, right? He credits the dubs with giving him the biggest assist of his teenage career when he was a high school student at Oakland Tech. He said, you know what? Tell you what, you get the grades and I'll see what I can do. So I worked and I got that 3.5, highest grade point ever. I think I ended up with a 3.8. It's the highest grade point average I had ever had in high school. It's on the honor roll, you know, and all that. And then I went back to him. I was like, what's up, man? Time to pay up. You know what I mean? And so he hooked me up with Shane Salazar, who was the equipment manager for the Golden State Warriors. I had an interview with him at the Coliseum. I think we had an interview like next to the... um, laundry machine. So I just remember 
It's like seeing the biggest washing machine I'd ever seen, washer and dryer I'd ever seen in my life, you know, with all the players' uniforms and stuff like that. And so he said, you know, you got the job next season. You'll be a ball boy for the Warriors. He gave me the Warriors hat, the whole jumpsuit, you know, more shoes. So I was on top of the world right then, getting a chance to be a ball boy for the Warriors. So that's how it happened. Becoming a ball boy might not seem like much, but for a young Wandera growing up in the 90s, it was the first time he had tasted success. He met NBA players like Keith Jennings, who he still maintains a friendship with to this day, and became a part of the community's fabric. Three decades later, when the team announced they would be leaving his hometown for San Francisco, Omar knew it meant that future Oakland youth like him wouldn't get those same professional opportunities and social experiences. Like, how's a kid ever supposed to get into that building, right? How's an Oakland kid ever supposed to even get over there, right? Because it's like, I got to catch the BART, then I got to get off the BART, get on this foreign thing called the Muni, <laughs> right? Figure that out. You know, and then it's going to take me an hour. And, and as you know, like, growing up in Oakland, I'm sure it's the other way around, but like, you grow up in Oakland, you never go to San Francisco, like for nothing, like maybe the shop, but you're not going over there for anything else, right? Like I remember being at the watch party when the Warriors won the 2017 title. I was at the watch party at the Coliseum and man, like being outside, like when they won the title and like music is playing and, you know, E-40 is playing. You know, all the hyphy music is playing, people are dancing, nobody wants to leave. And of course, you know, the smell of Oakland is all in the air. You know what I mean? Like it was just a whole vibe. And just thinking like, man, like this would never happen in San Francisco, right? Just like the whole feel of it would never happen in San Francisco. I'm really curious about Omar bringing up the smell of Oakland. So what is the smell of Oakland? When I think of the smell of Oakland, I think of good weed smoke, tire smoke from sideshows, and like carne asada or some, some type of meat grilling, um, some sort of links or hot dogs that are bacon wrapped, all coalescing into one beautiful aroma. To me, that's Oakland. And a little bit of the saltiness of the Bay Water is just kind of sprinkled on it. Maybe some eucalyptus in there. That's definitely some Oakland um, aromas right there. Some That'd be the, the candle scent of Oakland. <laughs> you should make that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna, can can Spencer co-sponsor it? We could do like a joint. Right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> East Oakland specifically is a community that has been historically underserved and segregated from the greater Bay Area's wealth specifically through racist practices like redlining, which denied black and poor residents loans to be able to buy property in nearby neighborhoods like Piedmont or Rock Ridge, making East Oakland the only viable place which they were able to purchase property. It's a painful narrative and one that cannot be overlooked when discussing the Warriors leaving the play in San Francisco's newly constructed Dog Patch neighborhood, which is an area that was developed in recent years to house expensive condos nice cafes, and attract a largely transplanted population of young professionals who often earn two to four times more than the average local who isn't working in tech or some other high paying role that they've been traditionally excluded from. The contrast between those two communities and the fans who live inside them is stark. 
It's an issue that Oakland rapper and Warriors fan Nim Sims has talked about in his music. We get redlined, we get criminalized. Hey, you get lifelines, you get dollar signs. This vengeance in my eyes, I'm desensitized. That's him rapping on Redline. Though he's not rapping about the Warriors moving to San Francisco, he might as well be. His feelings of anger, displacement, and rejection are about constantly seeing his community get left behind. And the Warriors jettisoning to the more lucrative side of the Bay Area plays into that larger resentment felt in East Oakland. We're hoop at the park every day. Like, we live in East Oakland, so, you know, the differences we face from, like, say, like, downtown or, like, uh, North Oakland or, you know, we live, like, in the middle of the city. They, like, call it Central East Oakland. So, yeah, there's not uh, many resources and funds that really get allocated to that area. So, Haley and Jordan, you haven't met Nimsons, but he's a really dope dude. He's a community member, a father, uh, after-school educator, and he just does a lot of stuff for the youth, actually. I also love Nim because he fucks with the Mexicans so hard. <laughs> like he's, he speaks Spanish and his music and shit. And like he's always talking about tamales. And I just love the Bay. It's like solidarity when you see that. And he really just tries to get normal folks, his people, and spotlight them and give them shine. And he did that through basketball, actually, and the court in his neighborhood. Man, the pavement was starting to break. So like pretty much what would happen is people were like, this is a true story. People were like, my boy Sosa, my boy Jakari, like sprained ankles. Like, you know, you could hear somebody's ankle crack, like running down on a fast break, like trip on a cement. We had all kind of stuff like that, like like glass in, on the court. Like there's no trash can. Nobody from the city comes to clean it. There's no nets on the court. Like it kind of looked like playing basketball in jail. Like there's gates all around the damn thing. There's nothing on the floor. So I don't know if they thought I was serious, but I was like, bro, I'm going to write a petition to the city, bro. Like, our park is trash. So I would just joke around and say that shit. And I was serious, though, but I guess I presented it like a joke because everybody would laugh. I was like, sooner or later, I'm a, we all going to get our, uh, we going to get some signatures, bro. And they did. As a community leader, Nimsons was able to get signatures and tweeted about it on his small account of less than 50 followers at the time. The message went viral even reaching Steph Curry's circle. I got an email from Eat, Play, Learn. That's Stephen Curry's little, I think it's a nonprofit. So I didn't respond at first. And I looked back the next day and I was like, I was like, let me check. Cause he gave me all his information, like his Instagram, his phone number. So I was like, let me look at his Instagram. So I went to his Instagram and I was like, oh, this is serious. So I just had to follow up with him. And uh, man, yeah, that, the rest, it just happened like that. The courts were renovated. Photos were taken by the city, and the hoops on Nimson Street were fixed. That's something the Warriors used to do around here more regularly. But now that they've left, they've taken a lot of those resources with them to a new area code, where currently, there aren't many black and brown communities left. In that context, the move was both literally and politically hard to accept for many locals and basketball fans. The Warriors weren't just a team. They were one of the area's largest community advocates. But when you zoom out and consider the larger community impact, how the team provided hope to a struggling area, how it gave opportunity for immigrant workers, often undocumented, those who would come out to sell bootleg shirts and food outside of the arena near their homes, 
how it was a reasonably affordable source of joy and escape from the grind of barrier life, something families around here could afford to do at one point. It all starts to equate something much more than basketball. The right draft pick can take your team to the playoffs and beyond. When you're scouting prospects, you need a powerful partner. You need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is the virtual interviews. A lot of people are working from home. They do not want to come into an office. And with Indeed, it saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent seamlessly all in one place. Sign up for Indeed now and get a $75 credit towards your first sponsored job. Plus, earn up to $500 extra in sponsored job credits with Indeed's virtual interviews. Visit Indeed.com spinsters to learn more. Claim your credits at Indeed.com slash Spinsters. Indeed.com slash Spinsters. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For one segment of locals in particular, it wasn't just about clapping for three-pointers and rebounds. It meant a job, a source of income, a livelihood. My name is Daryl Parrish. I worked at the... It used to be Oakland Coliseum, but I worked there for 22 years from 1997 all the way up until 2020. Daryl has seen some things in his 22 years. And perhaps more than most casuals, he knows what the nightly spirit of Oracle was. When I asked him, it wasn't about championships and MVPs. It was about being an underdog team. About the essence of we believe that permeated the people. That arena has never been louder than the We Believe years. That playoff series and, you know, what they went through, that arena has never been louder. The greatest upset in the history of the NBA playoffs. They have defeated the Dallas Mavericks in six as the confetti comes from above. It was the first time in modern NBA lore that the lowest-seeded team defeated the highest-ranked team. Something that felt emblematic to the hardworking spirit of Oaklanders and Baydestrians inside a packed Rorical Arena. All the championships that they, you know, three championships and those years, these last seven, eight years, it's never been louder with the We Believe years. I mean, I literally thought there was an earthquake in there. That's how loud it was. Daryl even has the original prototype shirts of the famous We Believe merchandise that Baron Davis, Jay Rich, and Matt Barnes famously rocked. A gift that Daryl received from the shirt's unsung creator, Paul Wong. So, wait, wait, wait. I kind of remember what the shirt looks like, but what did it actually look like? I got you, Jordan. I'm going to pull it up right now, and I'm going to show it to you all. Oh, he's sharing a screen. Classic. Okay. That's not what I thought it was like. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not as exciting, huh? <laughs> I remember the Thunderbolt in mm-hmm. the W of the Warriors logo. I remembered that part. Y'all should bring that back. Yeah, that was kind of cool. And do you remember the original origin of We Believe? Like, do you remember where it first popped up? That had to have been a grassroots thing and not like a thing that the team made up, right? Yeah, so the origin of We Believe is definitely, again, as the Oakland Warriors represent 
uh, from the community. And what I've been told is that this restaurant owner named Paul Wong started it. And he would just tell the fans, we believe this is our year. This is our season. We're in the playoffs. We haven't seen this in over a decade. And he actually just kind of like bootleg wrote it on a shirt, like a normal t-shirt. And I'm not exactly sure how the Warriors came to sort of like corporatize it and take over it. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Over the years, Daryl says he stopped seeing regular fans like Paul coming to Oracle. And by the time the team left to San Francisco, there were barely any familiar faces around. Here's Daryl again. I guess from maybe 2018 on is that you would see a lot of people that weren't, I wouldn't say they weren't fans, but they weren't season ticket holders. And I know that there's a lot of people that were coming from out of town and a lot of people from other countries I guess selling warrior tickets is part of the travel package because you would see like all different kinds of people. I've met so many nice people, some great people that they love basketball, but they weren't, you know, they weren't our consistent season ticket holders that I was accustomed to seeing all the time. They just wanted to come and see Steph Curry play. So that's just how huge and how much not only Steph Curry, but even the warrior brand is now. For better or worse, the team's success has brought the attention of many outsiders. It was enough for Daryl to realize it wasn't worth sticking around for the job he once loved. So after 22 years, he moved on. Everybody did move on. If you live in San Francisco, there was a couple of people that lived in San Francisco. So it's beneficial for them if they're going to you know, go there and work at Chase. But yeah, a lot of people moved on just like I did. Like everything in the Bay Area these days, it's about who can afford to enjoy what's here. This is a business, and so I know why they did it. Because they're opening the opportunity to have concerts. They're opening the opportunity to do other things. They have retail spaces there at Chase. So it's all about money. For those of us who grew up in the area, watching crappy teams in a crappy arena long before the appeal of winning drew crowds from all over, the Warriors leaving Oakland was a final nail in the proverbial coffin, and one that signaled the end of organic community. The average fan, the average fan cannot afford those tickets. And I just, knowing what I know about the tickets, four tickets cost you $70,000, and then they go up 7% every year. That's outrageous. I mean, you have to have a lot of money to afford that. Four tickets, $70,000, and 7% every year they go up. I mean, you have to have deep pockets. Deep pockets. I remember, like, um, there's a family that I met through another ticket holder, and they would come from Stockton. This is my friend, Michelle Hahn. She's a nurse and one of the hardest working people I know. She's also one of the biggest basketball fans I know. They've had season tickets for like over 20 years as a family of four. And their speeds have not changed. And they, they go all the time. And now they have to go all the way to San Francisco. I heard that they were going to give up their tickets too. Michelle's been a season ticket holder since 2013, but eventually gave up her ticket package due to her inability to keep up with the steeply demanding changes. The tickets? were outrageous. They were asking each of us to pay 
$30,000, I think, for the rights to the seat. I was like, that doesn't seem like a very good business option for me, to be honest. That was definitely when I was like, I literally don't care to watch another game at this moment in time. She felt betrayed and disconnected. She felt forced to leave the team behind after they left their roots behind. It was really hard to find people to actually buy tickets. That's crazy, right? Because everyone loves like the underdog story and like us kind of climbing to that top. And when you've been at the top for quite some time, it's like really hard to find people interested. And that's kind of like where I got into falling off. But also the fact that we were going to move to San Francisco was just like, goodbye. I think back to how affordable those tickets were and just how that fan base, the fans in that stadium looked like the people of Oakland, of the East Bay, San Leandro, whatever's like working class neighborhood. Those folks could afford to go to those games. Marie Seedy is a local high school special ed teacher here. I met him through an Oakland homie a few years ago. When we talked for this story, Mo was decked out in all Warriors gear with a bootleg Chef Curry shirt to be specific. Mo's neighborhood is the former home of the Warriors, and it's all Mo and his parents know. His parents immigrated from Cambodia to Oakland after the Cambodian genocide in 1982. Their story represents a large group of folks who have carved out their living here. As we've all seen, like, you know, the Warriors got good and won a couple championships, and it was, you had to really save up, like, no, immigrant working class family could no longer afford to go to those games. Even in the, you know, nosebleeds 200 sections, it was like way too unaffordable. For fans like Mo, it wasn't always just about wins and losses. It was about pride, about equal representation. It was also just about having a great time out with your family. It's a great time to have a ball. It's a great way to let it go. seeing someone you could relate with on the basketball court for the first time. That came true for Mo and many other Warriors fans when the team signed Jeremy Lin, the first Taiwanese-American player in the NBA, who just so happens to be from the Bay Area himself. We went and Jeremy Lin was on the bench and the whole gang, bro, like, we were getting our asses whooped. The whole game, the whole fan, everyone in this stadium was just like, put in Jeremy, put in Jeremy. You know, like, like it wasn't even a contest. In it. <laughs> Who was the coach? I think it was Don Nelson at the time. Nelson finally put him on the court, let him play. Man, just every single time he touched the ball, the fan, like, Oracle would go nuts. I think what was dope is when we were at that you know, that Asian American night or whatnot. It wasn't just like Asian fans who were rooting for Jeremy Lin. It was like the Warriors fan base is like ethnically, culturally, racially diverse. And like everyone from the Asian fans to Latinx fans, to the black fans, to the white fans, everyone was like cheering for this cat to hope. Cause they just like, when he's a rookie, but they, I think a lot of fans in the, in, in the Bay, whether you're from Oakland or not, your city, just like understood like how monumental like this kid was to like the Asian American communities. If there's one thing about the real fans of Oakland's team is that respect is given to those who deserve it. As we say in the Bay Area, game recognize game. game, 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 game. 
if we see something that we like and seems authentic and represents where we come from and we relate, we show love. And I feel like the Warriors embodied that at Oracle. Right. I feel like Oakland definitely had that sense of like, this is our community. These are our people. These are our fans. No, that's right. You know, if there's if there's one thing I like, I appreciate about Warriors fans from that time, like that mid 2000s period is like they rocked hard with any player that we got short of Troy Murphy and Mike Dunleavy. It's like, man, we rooted hard for every player that we had because we just, you know, it's like every player that got their shine with the Warriors just left us eventually, you know. But if there's something that Warrior fans know, it's like how to invest in the players that you draft because we just knew that we it's not guaranteed they're going to stay. You know, we've learned how to rock with our team. It's through this ride or die mentality of rocking with both the team and the city even through the worst years, that has helped to define what the Warriors meant to Oakland and what Oakland meant to the Warriors, especially in tough times. Call it resilience, call it loyalty, call it grit, or call it belief. You know, Alan, I just realized that even though we've been working on this story for a couple weeks together now, we have never asked you if you've actually been to Chase. So A, have you? And B, if you did, what was it like? Uh, it was surreal. And I think at first, I'm not going to lie, I was impressed, right? Like it's a brand new state-of-the-art facility. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm used to the Coliseum and Oracle, which are both like severely outdated and literally have like stray cats in the building and sewage that has burst into locker rooms and has overflowed with like shit, like literally. Um, so going from that my whole life and knowing that to like, oh, this is actually like what fans experience and this is high tech and the seats are comfortable and, and everything feels, you know, modern. That feeling was nice. It's like like unwrapping a new gift or something, right? Something super shiny. But once that effect sort of like doles out and you're in the second quarter and you start really looking around, and you start seeing, you know, tech bros that are just kind of there on a corporate field trip, basically, in groups of 30, um, you know, sipping on their beer with their little sippy straws. Like, that's the vibe, right? And you, you can tell these people don't care about basketball. You can tell they're not from the Bay. You can tell that they're there on, like, a Google trip. And there's a lot of groups of these people. The Warriors have just become a part of that sort of business package. And you can feel that as a real fan that there's a lot of people that have that sort of energy in the building. For sure. Um, I think it's probably the highest rate of just watching on TV, like guys in button down yeah. shirts with the jersey over top, which is a huge red flag, I For think, sure. uh, in an arena. And that kind of brings me to like, this is the first playoffs they've had in Chase. Mm -hmm. And you said that people have contacted you and said it's not the same in there. Do you think it's still as much of a home court advantage as it used to be? Yeah, so a lot of people have been saying that Chase Center is nothing like Oracle come playoff times, right? And like you said, this is the first playoff series that we've seen to sort of get a sense of what that is. I haven't been in Chase Center for the playoffs. I've been to Oracle many times, and I can tell you it's the literally most electric, out-of-body experience I've ever really had. Again, I can't speak to what it's like inside, but I, the people that have been seem to say that it's not the same. There's a lot of local podcasts and sort of local sports radio people that have been shitting on it. 
Um, and the only other sort of memory that I have about this playoff run was the the San Francisco mayor when the team made the playoffs. There's like this regionally viral video where she's standing in front of City Hall, Mayor London Breed. And she's like, the, she's literally screaming her heart out like the Warriors are in the playoffs. The Warriors are in the playoffs. She's waving, you know, blue and, and yellow Warriors paraphernalia. And somebody's like filming her and then they pan down to the street below. Uh, you know, downtown San Francisco, and literally there's like two people walking by in business suits. <laughs> Nobody even turns. Nobody cares. It's sad. And to me, that's like such a San Francisco Warriors metaphor. Like literally nobody even turned to glance at her. So again, that's the vibe in San Francisco. And I feel like that kind of translates into the arena to some degree. When the Warriors moved to Chase, my dad hasn't been there, right? And it's been three seasons now. So he's like, hey, Alan, like, uh, do you want to go to game with me? We haven't been yet. Hell yeah, let's do it. He's like, all right, for your birthday this year, let's go. So I'm like, in my head, it's like, this is a lock. My dad is definitely going to take me to the game for my birthday. So come near game time, um, I hit up my dad. I was like, hey, Bob, are we still going? He's like, oh, yeah, no, we're not going anymore. I was like, uh, what? <laughs> Excuse me? He's like, yeah, no, I looked into the tickets and they were just too expensive. It was like over $500 for the both of us. So it's just not really in my budget. Sorry. Of course, I was like, I felt bad. And again, growing up in a single parent home with your dad, that's an even stronger connection to fatherhood, son, and like sports being the glue to us. And this guy can't take me to the Warriors game because it's too expensive. And I just want to emphasize my dad is a Mexican immigrant. Like he grew up in Mexico was raised in Mexico, didn't come to the Bay until he was in his 30s. So, you know, he was an immigrant. So to me, the fact that my dad couldn't afford to take his son to a Warriors game, to something that we've done so many times over the years, watched so many freaking games on his couch at the Oracle um, with friends, family. We literally didn't have access to the arena this season because of price, only because of price. That was the only reason. And, and I, it feels bad as a son. Um, so... You know what? I'm going to take my dad to Oracle. <laughs> I'm just realizing this. But I just want to make that clear. I'm going to take you by. You hear this? We're going. But you had a Freudian slip. You actually said Oracle. Oh, my God. See, that's how that's how rooted it is. Like, I can't separate the two. I honestly can't. The next generation of Hoopers and fans coming up in the East Bay won't have that exposure previous ages of Warriors fans had. Those summer internships, those season tickets, those moments of seeing their cultural heroes hit the hardwood for the first time, those nights of easy access to the arena, of going to a game with their parents and siblings. Instead, they'll have to watch from TV. They'll have to imagine what it must feel like to have the sort of privilege that others have by moving here and taking up a seat. What does we believe mean to the Warriors fan in 2022? Especially those of us on the other side of the bridge that the team proudly wears as their jersey's logo. In what ways has our belief been restricted and overpriced? Believing means to trust. Something that a longtime Warriors fan might find hard to do. But the other definition is to imagine. So like we've always done, the barrier fans who aren't positioned with the best views and highest salaries will have to keep believing and imagining as if that's ever been enough.
Brothers. Yep. Ain't no stopping. Nope. Clay Thompson. Yep. Under pressure, is he choking? Nope. Do it big like Bokin? Yep. Never let him tell us that we can't. Nope. Go hard like Barnes in the paint. Yep. Never ever slow enough to pace. Nope. Shoot a three pointer in his face. Yep. Everybody say Warriors. Warriors. Everybody say Warriors. Warriors. Everybody say Warriors. This episode of Spencer's was written and reported by Alan Shazaro. Our editors are Isabel Jocelyn and John Yells. Production is by Isabel, Harry Krinsky, and myself. Our production coordinator is Devin Shepard, and our social media manager is Sierra Smith. And our executive producers are Peter Moses, John Yells, and Haley O'Shaughnessy. Hey, what's up, y'all? My name is Emilio Sanchez. I'm from Mountain View, California. Big Golden State Warriors fan. Been a Warriors fan since day one. Just want to say that it's been a it's been better see from them leaving from Oakland to San Francisco. We know what team we had in Oakland and what kind of fan base we had. The real true fans are in the East Bay. It's never going to be the same. You're never going to have Oracle. So, anyways, Gub Nation to the fullest. But San Francisco, y'all is weak. East Bay has been the pride and joy of the Bay. Y'all have a good one.